getting a mortgage for doctors should not be difficult. After all, we're usually in secure employment, unlikely to default on mortgage payments, and be earning a reasonable salary. But we see so many doctors who do struggle to get the best mortgage deal. And almost all of these struggles could be avoided with a little bit of knowledge. And today, we're going to give you that knowledge. So we talk about why your bank may not be the best place to get a mortgage. We talk about why using a whole of market independent broker who specializes in doctors and understands the intricacies of how we're paid and can present this information in the very best way to lenders can also help you to get the best deal. On Medics Money, we have gathered the very best independent whole of market mortgage advisors that specialize in doctors and our algorithm can match your unique requirements to the best advisor from you. You can also read reviews from other doctors and compare prices. And today we're going to hear from one of those advisors who gives us some great tips including how you can improve your credit score, how to get the best deal and how much you can borrow including if you're self-employed or locum doctor. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe and continue to tell your colleagues about us. And if you do need to find a mortgage, head to the Medics Money website where we can match you to the best advisor for you. Welcome to the Medics Money podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelo, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. So on today's podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Rob Muscat and Mike Harms, who are from Medical and General. And uh, we are going to be talking about mortgages. So do you guys want to just introduce yourself and tell the My Next Money podcast listeners why you're qualified to talk about today's subject? Yeah, of course, Tommy. Hi. Yeah, so my, my name is Rob Muscat. I'm um, a financial planner with Medic in General. Uh, I've been a mortgage advisor for uh, 20 years in the independent space, um, more recently with Medic in General. Um, so we, we niche uh, with financial advice for medics. Uh, mortgages is, is more my forte. Um, but yeah, just through everyday transactional um, activity with clients, really, we, we've discovered niches and um, areas of criteria that work for, for medics. Um, and having the independent um, status means we can approach any lender to to find a, a mortgage for the clients, really. Awesome. And the Medics Money podcast listeners know Mike well because he's uh, been on the podcast before and he's done a few webinars with us. But do you want to just uh, remind them who you are, Mike? Yeah. Hi, Ron. Um, name's Mike Harms. I'm a director and chartered financial planner of Medical in General. Um, I set the business up seven years ago uh, with the sole purpose of supporting the medical profession. And um, we start all of the advice that we give with supporting you and educating you, allowing you to make informed financial decisions. So the idea behind this podcast was to hopefully touch on some of the questions that you might have, uh, which hopefully clarifies areas that might concern you before you start looking to get advice on mortgages. Yeah, awesome. Um, we get loads of questions from doctors, and it's really great that you've given your time today to answer those. So I think we should just get straight into the questions. So 
you already mentioned this already, but I thought maybe we should talk about your independent status and why your own bank uh, may not be the best place to get a mortgage. Because this is something we see doctors do all the time. They're with a bank and they think, oh, that's the best place to get a mortgage. So tell us a bit about why that's maybe not the case and what that independent means in you, for you guys being independent. Okay, so I think obviously clients have a relationship with their bank. I think the long and short of it really is that they'd be in a really good position if their bank offered them the best deal on the market. And there's obviously hundreds of lenders out there. Um, not all of them are medic friendly, um, but it's really a down to finding the clients the the best rate and solution um, to, to their needs, really. And I think that you'd be extremely lucky to to hit on your own bank and be, be offered the best deal on the market, really. Yeah, I guess like your bank is a business. So if they've got if a competitor bank offers a better product for you, your own bank is just not going to tell you about it. That's just the way it works. Whereas for you guys, you shop the whole market. So you just find the best deal for the doctor from whichever bank or lender is offering that. Is that a fair sort of summary of that question? Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, that's right. It's um, it, Everybody's different. Everyone's scenario is different. Everyone's income is different. So it, it's in, virtually impossible to tell a client at the early stages of an appointment who that mortgage is going to be with because we use lots of different lenders our lenders suppose huge um we've got some lenders that will um offer niche products for medics where they'll offer much more um flexible affordability and others that don't so it, it swings around abouts really yeah Okay, cool. Um, let's talk about that specializing in medics because there's loads of mortgage brokers out there. There's loads of independent whole of market mortgage brokers that cover the whole market like you guys do. So why do doctors need uh, somebody who specializes in medics or is at least familiar with uh, doing medical mortgages? What's niche about medics? Okay, so I think if we looked at employed medics, first of all, um, not every lender has a solid understanding of how NHS staff are paid. Um, with regards to basic pay that's pensionable with allowances that go on top. So what we find is that some lenders will take all of that income, some won't. Uh, and obviously, if you're looking for flexibility with the amount of money that a client can borrow, we need to have all of that money taken into account. Um, niching slightly, locums, obviously not every lender likes the fact that that the, the, um, the income patterns uh, regular, it might be you know up one month, down the other, that type of thing. Um, and then in the sort of GP world, self-employed partner GPs, um, some lenders wanting two years history before they'll touch them, that type of thing. Whereas we can um, place that with a lender from day one um, with with a letter from the practice manager or the accountant. So it, it depends on the role really, but that's the beauty of being independent. I would actually hate to sit here and have one lender to pick from to try and find a home for people. It's uh, it's very, very varied, really. Yeah, I think that's a really good summary. And our pay and all of that is really complicated. And sometimes if that's presented in the right way to the lender, they're like, oh, okay, but if you don't understand how that works because you don't work with doctors on a regular basis, then that can be problematic. Okay, cool. Um, the other massive question, which uh, is difficult to answer, I realize, but uh, everybody asks, how much can I borrow? So how has that worked out? And tell us okay. a bit more detail about that. Yeah, each lender has their own set of affordability criteria. So it, it, like you say, it's impossible to give you a, a definite answer to that question. Well, many years ago, my, my job was a lot easier in that I could tell you exactly how much any lender could lend you driven by the criteria that was laid out. But what, what lots of lenders have moved on to is uh, 
affordability-based lending where they use computerized uh, models in the background and they don't divulge that model to me so I've no no idea how it works but it's largely based off ONS data so office of um, national statistics data so if you've got a single person with no children they've an idea of how much that person's likely to spend each month on you know regular expenditure like power food leisure that type of thing so a lot of the the criteria and the affordability outcome is driven around that so if you've got a couple with four children their borrowing capacity perhaps won't be as much as a couple with no children so it's very difficult um and also it comes down to how the client perceives that affordability what's affordable for them you know the way you spend your money each month is going to differ from mine or Mike's. so it's very much a case of drilling it down doing some budget planners and finding out what their budget is and almost reverse engineering that into a mortgage loan figure rough rule of thumb we're looking at somewhere between four and a half and four and three quarters times gross income with most lenders more with others yeah. Okay. Cool. So that's a good guide, and I really like what you just said about m- matching it to their budget requirements. Because there's a, you know, there's how much you can borrow, and then there's how much you should borrow. Um, and I think that's really good that you guys are, um, you know, giving that uh, information so that people can work out how much they should borrow, not what they can borrow. Um, okay. So we touched on this a bit already, but how do the uh, mortgage lenders treat? additional like non-basic pay for medics, which take, can take many forms for junior doctors, for locum GPs, et cetera. But how do they treat that non-basic pay? So um, the more flexible lenders really are just looking for sustainability of the income. If they can see that it's on every pay slip and it's fairly regular, they'll use 100% of what's on that pay slip. So there are four or five lenders that fall into that category. Others, others are a little bit more specific. Um, and sometimes the wording of the allowance causes issues. So I've had some medics that have had to go back to HR to, to get written confirmation. It's a guaranteed bonus, but it doesn't say guaranteed on the pay slip. So we've had to get things to back up. But I think really we, we've narrowed it down to the lenders that will process mortgages using all of that income without any questions asked that are still able to offer a good deal. Um, yeah. I think that's really important as well because the junior doctor's payslip is hideously complicated now. There's so many different lines of income going in, income going out. And if you don't understand what that all is and present it in the right way to the mortgage lenders, then it's you know it's going to affect what you can loan. So that's really good. Um, so this is another massive question that we get. But what deductions are taken into account by the lenders and how does that affect what they will lend? Sure. So, so this really drives the affordability. If if a lender um, carries a credit check out on a client and sees they have a, a finance on a car at £500 a month, that obviously clearly has an impact on their disposable income at the end of the day. So uh, any credit commitments, loans, credit card balances. Um, so with the loan, obviously, we know how much the monthly repayment is likely to be um, because it's set out from outset. Credit card balances, most lenders will take I would say 3% of the balance as a, as a monthly repayment is, seems to be the, the rule of thumb. Um, the, other, the other big one, student loans, obviously they're on pay slips. Um, so that's taken into account as well. Yeah, a, a, any sort of formal credit agreement really uh, would be taken into account. Also things like maintenance. So if you've got people with, uh, who are paying maintenance to, to ex-partners and things like that needs to be taken into account. Um, private loans, yeah, all sorts of different things, really. But it makes sense. If someone's paying a £1,000 a month out, 
that's a thousand pounds they would ordinarily have had to pay a mortgage. So it's it, it's slightly to reduce the amount they can borrow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, always good to try and cut down some of those expenses that you mentioned anyway, but especially if you're applying for a mortgage. So that's good. And then the other thing that we get asked a lot, um, because we have a lot of doctors who are uh, self-employed locums. So give me some tips for self-employed locums uh, and sort of pitfalls that they can come across. Sure. Okay. So so the pitfall really for self-employed locum is, is providing proof of income. Obviously, if they're having to submit tax returns, it, it can often take a period of time before they've got some sort of provable income uh, that a lender can use. So self-employed locums, particularly, the minimum period of time that it's likely to be required for, for, for that type of work would be a year. Um, if they're employed locums, it's less because obviously we have pay slips, they're paying PAYE. Yeah, but self-employed locums, 12 months, preferably 24 for most lenders. Um, self-employed GP is slightly different, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a se- separate point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if you're thinking about buying a house and going locuming, you definitely need to take what Rob just said into account there because you might want to think about applying for the mortgage before you take the locum job or something like that, right? Yeah, I think same with any self-employed consideration, really. It, it has an impact on that. Uh, so if you're certainly thinking about buying in the short term, uh, you, you need to bear that in mind, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then even more niche than that, um, you know, self-employed GPs that are working as a partner in a practice, anything that you guys can do for them and things to think about? Yeah, indeed, yeah. So we, we come across this one quite often. Uh, and it seems really unfair that somebody joins a practice uh, and has to wait a year or two to, to, to raise a mortgage. So um, we did a lot of research around this and um, we, we had people in from different lenders and grilled them on, on various areas, one of, the, one of them being this particular one. Um, we, we have several lenders that will accept a letter from the practice accountant or from the practice um, manager confirming the drawing that the client's likely to take and they'll use that as the income and, and lend from day one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I think uh, I did that myself, actually. Um, accidentally decided to take a partnership and then moved house three months later. Um, and that letter was really good. So, and that would be a situation where maybe a non specialist just wouldn't know about that opportunity. And I would uh, have had to carry on in my rental house, which was um, not ideal. Um, okay. So um, that's really, uh, really useful. Um, w- w- one thing that we get a lot as well is a lot of first time buyers uh, and there's loads of different ways that they can do that um so tell me a bit about how you guys help first time buyers what first time buyers should consider sure okay so first time buyers um there are sometimes products around or available where um we can offer cashbacks and free valuations and things like that that the higher, what we call the higher loan to value mortgages. So we're talking about people with smaller deposits, which tend to be first time buyers. Um, the, the government introduced the mortgage guarantee scheme back in the budget, which we're now seeing filter through. So there's several lenders that are offering 95% mortgages to, to first time buyers uh, guaranteed by the government. As uh, so we've seen that filter through as well. Sometimes a little bit of extra flexibility on affordability helps. Um, Lenders accepting gifted deposits, that's becoming extremely common. So bank and mum and dad coming into play there. Um, and then we've got other schemes like help to buy, uh, although that's restricted to new builds now. I've certainly got involved in that over the last couple of years as well. So there are schemes out there, but um, 
it's difficult for them. Uh, I think the deposit seems to be the stumbling block for a lot of people. But um, yeah, things are easing up. The scheme's out there. So there's, there's hope for first-time buyers for sure. Yeah. And that's something that you can help people with and advise them on. Is that right? Yeah. Like Mike said, we, we have a lot of inquiries from people that are first-time buyers that are just testing the water to establish much of the things you've asked, really. How much can they borrow? How much it's going to cost? What size deposit they're going to need? And we deal with a lot of that type of inquiry and more than happy to speak to people up front well in advance of, of them actually making a move just so they know exactly where they stand. But yeah, happy to cover off that. Not a problem. Okay, cool. Um, and we are kind of in a pandemic. Mike, do you want to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say really to highlight the um, the bit that, that Rob's just said there. Um, ultimately, preparation is going to be key before you even start to contemplate looking at houses and things like that. And probably some basic housekeeping that you can do it, it just in terms of preparation to make sure you're as, as well positioned as you can be. So the first thing we always recommend is for clients to do a credit search on themselves and actually get a free credit report. Um, you may not have heard of this, but basically whenever you take uh, borrowing out or a credit card or anything like that, then it is put on what's called a credit report. And so every time you actually borrow money or look to take out a loan or car finance, they will do a credit check. So it's really important that you go online and you can go to the usual culprits of people like Experian, um, uh, Equifax, and or there's a free one called Credit Karma. And it gives you the ability to log on, check your history, and make sure there are no nasties on there. Um, we've had it on several occasions in the past where clients have said that they've got no credit issues and then there's been a hard decline on the mortgage, which basically means they've been fully refused a mortgage. But you've gone through all the pain and suffering of getting to that point. And it turns out that there's been some fraud committed on that particular client. So it's essential really to take a look at it because that's the data that's going to be input into the mortgage application. And it will also show you what your outstanding balances are, what your monthly commitments are and things like that. And then I think it's just really preparing your your outgoings to look as favorably as they possibly can. So Rob mentioned car finance earlier. If you think you want to buy a property in three years time, it might be worth not locking into a four-year finance deal. Um, it's also worth noting that if you've got a loan that's probably got less than six months to run mm -hmm. or uh, three months left on a credit card to run, then some lenders will exclude that from your affordability. So it's just about making sure that you get all your ducks in a row because that will make your application and your ability to purchase that house go through pretty much without touching the sides. And that is our aim with, with all the advice we give on mortgages is to make sure that we position you in the right place with the right lender so you have a 100% success chance of getting your mortgage rather than a failure on a mortgage, which then impacts your credit rating. So... Yeah, just off the back of that, I think what our approach really, Tommy, is that we we spend a lot of time up front preempting any issues, and that credit check is a really important one because if somebody has a blip on the credit um, and they've not told us, we can work around that and find a lender that will accept it. Um, so once an application is in, it's very rare that we get issues with processing at all. Um, I come across brokers that seem to throw lots of things at the wall to see what sticks, and we're not like that. So if we think it's going to be a problem up front, we try and preempt it or suggest a way around it or a fix to it uh, in the hope that once it's in the process, it goes through without touching the sides. 
Yeah, it's kind of in everyone's interest for it to go through as smoothly as possible. So, and I like what you said there, Mike, about doing a credit check and cleaning up your outgoings. I mean, that's a good idea, and it, you know, anyway, and and anyone can do that. Like, get a bit of a plan together, and it will go through nice and smoothly. So, um, we are in the middle of a pandemic. Um, has that had any impact on mortgage lending or anything like that? I think initially it did because what we were finding is what lots of staff at the, at the lenders' offices were working remotely. So we had that sort of technology issue where they weren't working with dual screens, processing times were slow, people off being ill um, was quite a common one. Um, from a processing point of view, that seems to have improved. I think more and more people have uh, uh, sort of worked themselves into a situation where they, they've got around that with technology. With clients, self-employed, it doesn't really affect medics, but um, self-employed people in general seem to be under a lot more scrutiny because lenders are worried about the effects of the pandemic on their businesses and things like that. With medics, that doesn't seem to be too much of a problem. So I, I would have said really the main issue is processing time seem to be a little bit slower. Okay. Um, and one thing that sort of goes hand in hand with uh, people getting a mortgage is them having a think about their protection and insurances. So what do you do to that end? Um, and how does that link in with the mortgage application, and everything like that? Okay, so yeah, I think it's a really important part of the process, really. Um, not only the affordability, but how you back that up by protecting yourself against various things. So we're looking really at three different areas. I think primarily protecting income is really important. Um, Generally, medics, obviously, most of them have the NHS pen, um, sick pay scheme to fall back on, but that's not, it's not watertight completely. There's going to be an end date on that. So it's very much a case of, of bolting the protection around to, to back up the ability to pay the mortgage, but also to support themselves and their family. So that's, that's primarily a really important area. Life insurance um, to, to pay the mortgage off if you've got a joint application, somebody dies, the other person then doesn't have to continue paying the mortgage. Um, and areas like Chris clear on us as well, we, we cover, we generally build a bit of a review in off the back of it. So if there's other areas that need to be considered, we can cover that off at the same time. I think it's a really, really key area that we we concentrate on as part of the process, really. There's no point in taking on a debt if you've not protected yourself against paying it back. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it's really just highlighting why it's important to to get advice from a specialist advisory firm who understands your background because uh, we, we come across it on occasions where people have gone to other mortgage brokers and have had mortgages with them and their life and income protection policies or other things like that just aren't suitable and and that's really quite a, a difficult situation to be in um, when the protection actually isn't adequate or, or appropriate based on the situation you've got. Um, I think it's important to say that every person's circumstances are different and so what's right for one person isn't necessarily right for someone else but we don't just do a transaction with you in terms of here's a mortgage thanks very much goodbye we want to make sure that you're aware of all of the other areas you should be thinking about addressing you don't necessarily have to address it but at least you know forewarned is forearmed and you've got a good understanding of really what good looks like and then it's about budget and affordability and making sure that any recommendations that are made are not only affordable today but remain affordable in the future. Um, and that's really, really important to know that we're not just pushing a mortgage through, pushing you on your monthly commitments, and then you feeling like, actually, crikey, this is a bind, can't afford it. 
um, that defeats the whole point of what we're trying to achieve. This is about long-term financial planning and getting your foot on the property ladder is a big part of that. Yeah, definitely great points. And I think if you took your protection out in a hurry at medical school uh, and haven't reviewed it since, this is a great time to, d- to do that. I'm sure you see that uh, not infrequently. And just to stress again that you guys are independent whole of market. So you shop the best deal for the doctor and not just a restricted panel, which is why uh, we love love having you on Medics Money. Um, okay, so this has been really useful. Hopefully we've covered a lot of the common questions that we get at Medics Money. But say like I'm looking to get a mortgage, take me through what your process is, what you do, and uh, how, how does it all look? And how, how long does it take? Because um, I'm guessing most medics leave it till the very last minute to get this <laughs> arranged and then want it to go through in like two weeks straight. So tell me about what the process is like. Okay, so I think we start very much with a, a what we call a discovery session where we we interact with the client either by Zoom or face-to-face or, or over the phone. And important to point out at this stage, we're, we're flexible with when we do speak to people. We're really aware that medics work some quirky hours. So um, Mike and I will both uh, often do evening appointments and things like that. So we start off with a general conversation. I think really it very much rolls around the circumstances and needs of the client, really. So that initial session is very much getting a feel for, for what they're looking for, the circumstances, carrying out a little bit of what I call basic fact-finding, finding out about them, dates of birth, family situation, income, that type of thing. Um, from there, I would then normally take that information away at, and conduct some initial research around primarily the questions we've already talked about, really. How much can they borrow and what it's likely to cost them? I think then where we can set a parameter of what's possible for them um at that point so once we sort of got to a point where we know how much they want to borrow is it affordable are they comfortable with it i think then that's the stage where we would discuss uh, obtain what we call an agreement in principle or decision in principle with a particular lender so we'd we'd hone in on a lender we felt was suitable for that client uh, an agreement or decision in principle is basically a soft footprint credit check with a lender it's basically saying, yes, we will lend this client this much money subject to them finding a property. So that puts them in a really strong position when they're viewing property, particularly with estate agents, that they've got that bit of paper to say, yes, we can borrow this much money. And it's really down to them then finding a suitable property. So once that's uh, once they found that and they've offered on it, an offer's been accepted, I'd then refine the research again and make it a little bit more specific to that particular property. So, for example, if you've got a leasehold property uh, or something slightly quirky, that might affect the lender choice. So, again, this is the beauty of being independent. Um, once we've done that, we would then firm up the, the recommendation, um, gather more information from the client, make an application, discuss the protection as part of the process, which we've just talked about. Um, timeline though, I just said from applying from a mortgage to obtaining a mortgage offer, which is the document that the solicitor would use to sort of take the transaction forward, I'd say you're looking at somewhere between two and three weeks. The process itself, very, very difficult. <laughs> Solicitors are really busy at the moment. I would have said a normal house purchase somewhere between eight and 12 weeks, but I've seen them dragging a lot longer than that at the moment. So yeah, but as far as our, our process is concerned, Normally within a month, we'd be, we, we would have our bit done really. And, and I think just to add to that, really, just talk a bit about the process that we use now. Um, since COVID, 
hit last year, we've become fully digital. So the whole process for us is, is online. We give you access to a secure portal, the ability to upload and share documentation, which is quite an important part of the process. So um, we will ask you for, say, for example, three months pay slips, three months bank statements, any information on outstanding loans, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then so we can communicate effectively that way, which gives you some security over the information. And then also we, we now have the ability to do a soft credit search ourselves. So we've used this term soft credit search and hard credit search. Um, soft credit search means that it has no impact on your credit score. Now, the score is literally that. The higher the score in most scenarios, the better your credit worthiness is, the greater chance you have of being uh, of borrowing money from a lender. They do look at all of this. Are you a good bet? Are you able to manage your credit effectively? Um, so, so we do a soft credit search, which means it doesn't impact it. But when we go to full application, that is when the lender will do a hard credit search. Now, if that fails on that credit application for whatever reason, or they say, actually, you're not suitable for our, ours, us, then that's a black mark on your or credit search. It's a hard credit footprint, which then means if you go to another lender and another lender, that can start to look quite bad for you and your score could be impacted so that's really kind of coming back to the housekeeping trying to get your credit score in as good a position as it can be and then making sure you don't go to the bank um, or someone else who isn't appropriate for you but you don't know that until you've been there and they've gone through the application and done a hard credit search and then think oh crikey i've now got to go and do something different so it's just as i said having the conversation with us we're more than happy to talk through your circumstances anytime um, just to try and, I suppose, ward off any potential issues further down the line. I think if I just add to that, Tommy, as well, the, the, the process I talked about with the timeline, um, the experience for the client, from our point of view, is, is intended to be quite hands-off. We, we, we process, deal with the lender, send the documentation in, uh, and avoid the client having to do uh, much more than just give us the documents, really. So medics are busy people. Uh, I think that works really well for them. Um, and, and going back to what Mike said about the, the credit footprint, I think that ties back in with the initial research that we do. We do much more work at that, at that front end to, to alleviate issues like that, really. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and I think um, that's really good advice that Mike gave to say about cleaning up your outgoings and stuff like that. Um, okay. So um, that all sounds good. Uh, let's talk about how much it costs. What can we, what does a client pay and how does that all work? Because this is something that is not well understood by doctors. Sure. Okay. So um, as far as payment, we, we charge clients a fee uh, at application stage and we charge a flat, a flat fee of £295. So the question then arises, what, what, why are we paying £295? Well, you're paying for our advice, but also our time, our processing, and really taking everything out of someone's hands and doing it for them. So it makes sense that you have to pay a fee for that. And that fee varies depending on, on from firm to firm, but we feel that's an appropriate level of fee to charge. Awesome. Okay, so it's just 295 flat fee at the application stage, and then that's that. Yeah, so if someone's making an initial inquiry, I wouldn't suddenly sit in front of them and, and demand £295. I'm quite happy to give people some, some advice and get to that stage where they're ready to go ahead. And then when we're ready to commit, that's when we would charge that fee. I think the other thing just to state that um, we there is a commission that's paid from the lender and that's on completion of the mortgage. So clearly we get remunerated at the end. Um, 
but there is an element of administration costs that we need to cover in the first instance, which is why we charge that flat fee. Now, everything is up front. We will disclose that to you, tell you what that is we're going to receive. Um, but the 295 is there really to also show that we are being independent in our approach and that we will look at the whole of the market. We are not incentivized um, by lender because basically we're separating those costs. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you just made there about, you know, that that means that you're, you know, whole of market, you're acting in the doctor's best interest, you're not a restricted lender, uh, hence the fee. And uh, regarding being upfront about your fees, you cannot be more upfront than announcing it publicly on a really popular podcast like this. So we need much more of this uh, in financial services, in my opinion, transparency um, about how things are done. And and we love how transparent you you guys are. So uh, cannot be more transparent than that. And announcing it on the podcast. Okay, great. Um, so let's wrap up because, I mean, we covered so much ground today and that was really useful. Hopefully that was useful to listeners. But give me some top tips that uh, people can do uh, if they're listening to this just to make their chances better of getting the right mortgage for them. Okay, so I think Mike, Mike touched on the biggie, really, the credit file. Um, the other thing is I come across quite often is address history. So um, trying to keep your address history tidy being registered on the voters' role is quite an important one as well. Uh, I think really the where we fall down sometimes, and I have lately with a couple of clients, is bank accounts registered to different addresses, um, using parents' address while they've been studying, that type of thing. And it's just general housekeeping, really, keeping on top of that uh, so as not to cause confusion when a credit check is carried out. Yes. Sometimes if you put in the address history to a credit check and it doesn't match what's coming from the credit file, things can get a little bit protracted. So I, I think just general common sense, keeping your finances tidy, not trying not to run into overdraft is, is a common one, making sure you pay everything on time. Um, I can't think of too much more than that, really. It's, it's one of those intriguing ones. If you've never had a credit card, never had a loan, it sounds counterintuitive, but credit history is only gained when you actually have a credit card or a loan and you repay it. They're looking at your previous history. So again, if you're thinking, I want to buy a house in three years, reality is, think about getting a credit card, but just maintaining it and paying it. There's all these sorts of things that you look at. It's a bit of credit gymnastics, really. It's about you know uh, exercising your credit capacity, which will then in a few years show there's a track record. The other thing, actually, that we I learned once upon a time is that if you have a credit card or you have a bank account, make sure you keep it, make sure you use it. And the best thing you can have is, so I've got a credit card that I've actually had for 25 years. I don't use it often, but the fact is it gets used. And that really, really shows that you're a good bet for a bank or a lender to look at just by having that consistency. That's sort of history. Yeah, yeah. and if you're, if you're thinking of borrowing money, uh, say going for a mortgage in the next six months, don't go and open a new current account. Don't go and take out a, a, you know, a credit card at that point because that's all going to have a negative impact on the score. You really want to be quite clean for a period of time to make things look as good as it possibly can be. Yeah. Um, and I think really just think before you make a career decision, especially if you're going to make hopefully a house purchase in the next 12 months, probably the best thing to do is pick the phone up, have a conversation with someone, um, hopefully us, but other lenders are, other advisors are available. Um, and uh, just let us give you a bit of coaching and support on what might be appropriate. Yeah. 
But really, really useful advice. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, if people have liked what they've heard, I'll drop your contact details in the uh, links uh, in the show notes below so they can get in touch with you uh, and talk things through. Um, so thank you so much for your time. Uh, really look forward to catching up with you again on the Medics Money podcast in the near future. Mike has his investing uh, podcast. I think it's called Earn While You Sleep. Um, that's a really popular episode that you might like to listen to. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for your time today. No problem. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. Take care.